And there came a day. A day unlike... Wait. No, that's been done. Hmm. Who knows what evil lurks in... No, that is that other thing. What has yellow skin and rights? Ah, forget it. You're listening to Panelology. Excelsior, oh, damn it. Welcome to episode 255. I'm Alex. And I'm JD. Welcome to the show. Thank you uh, for having me. JD is the host of Comics Quest, one of the other comic book podcasts on the Certain Point of View Network. We are excited to have JD on the show. And I will uh, greet you with the same question we ask all first timers. How did you get into comics and nerdy shit? Uh, well, uh, you, thank you for asking that question. Um, so let me tell you a a brief little story, which I actually just recently told on another podcast. Um, so I grew up loving, uh, I grew, I was born in 1998. So I was born in like this really weird time of like, I was born the year Blade came out, which was also the year after Batman and Robin and the year before Batman Beyond debuted. So it was like this weird, like little nebulous time. And growing up, I became weirdly obsessed with the Blade trilogy at like six years old. Like you do. Like, you know, like every, like every six year old does uh, from Texas, you get, you get heavily into this movie about, um, a vampire hunter uh, saying that some motherfuckers always want to ice skate uphill. And I got so obsessed with them to the point where I would cosplay the movies. Uh, I would play, I would cosplay as Blade in the living room while the movies were playing, and I would repeat every single line of dialogue. Again, I'm like six or seven years old. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, unfortunately, I do not have home movies of that. I really wish I did, because it would be weird to go back to. And just from there, I have been obsessed with movies, in particular movies based on comics. Um, you know, like, there there are, like, certain little pockets that are favorites of mine. Like, I love the Guillermo del Toro Hellboy movies. Uh, I love Punisher Warzone. I love Speed Racer. So there are just, like, a lot of, little, like, little pockets that are favorites of mine as I was growing up. And I didn't, I didn't really like start like actively reading comics regularly, not monthly, like single issues, but just regularly reading comics until I was in high school. And I actually didn't even start reading comics monthly until, uh, it was early, it was April of 2019 when I started reading. And I actually fell off last year when, um, the pandemic started, uh, and books weren't shipping. So I just fell behind and I actually recently got back to got back into them um this past week was the first time i went and picked up new comics excellent and real quick for anyone who has not had a chance to check out comics quest yet uh what is what is the pitch for it well it is geared specifically toward uh trying to find comics that are first of all already done and collected 
but it's finding comics that I believe anybody could pick up having never read a comic book in their life and they could instantly latch onto it. And it could be anything. It could be anything from like Paper Girls to Matt Fraction's Hawkeye to Sweet Tooth to, uh, you know, like a Thor comic. Just finding anything that anybody can pick up. So like you could put on a random episode of our show and just pick up the comic that we're talking about. So way more approachable than than this show for for <laughs> listeners who are not as deep in the weeds. Yeah, probably. <laughs> well, speaking of getting deep into the weeds, uh we should do that. Probably, and yeah. dig into this week's books. First up we have Eros Psyche, which is published by Ablaze, a publisher we haven't talked about a lot on this show. It is written, drawn, and colored by Maria Jovet, with letters by Saida Timofante. What is your... Have you read any Maria Jovet before? No, I never, I've never heard of them before reading this issue. So, I only have a little experience with her work. She did a miniseries and then a sequel miniseries called Breathless and Breathless 2. She's actually writing and drawing another comic that comes out. It's another miniseries that comes out right now, monthly as well, uh, that we've been talking about. Most of her work is very psychedelic in its art layouts. I was surprised by how sort of cinematic composed shot this issue was. Yes, it was very um, minimalistic is the best word I can think of. Yeah, it's it's in the best way possible. This is a book about a young woman who is at some kind of some kind of school. We don't know exactly what is up with this school other than what appears to be a lot of coded communication and sort of ritualistic if you get the lowest score, you are given white robes and dismissed from the school ceremoniously slash unceremoniously. Okay, My Hero Academia. <laughs> uh, something something has happened uh, that has taken her away from this school, whether it's just the progression of time or, I'm going to guess, some kind of tragedy, just from context clues. Mm-hmm. And we learn that like a lot of her time at this school, no matter what has happened, and her relationship to it is built around her relationship with one other student at this school. Yes. What did you think about this? So I went into this completely blind. I saw when, when you gave me the list of everything that had come out, I saw it was a number one and I thought, Oh cool. I'll check it out. And I didn't read anything about it. And I just bought it blindly, started reading it. And Honestly, I would ha- I would read it no other way. I, I, I loved going blind into this and just discovering everything. Um, it, it, I, I liken it to um, how I prefer to go into a Bong Joon-ho movie completely blind and not knowing anything about it because that makes the, the experience much more enjoyable. That was this experience reading this issue. Was just, it was very enjoyable to just be plopped into this world and to and into the memories of this of this woman and to to piece together what might have happened yeah it's it's funny normally 
something like this would show up on my list because I'd read about it in solicitations or whatever. This one wasn't on my radar until I was making my pull list for this week and saw, oh, Maria Jovet's Eros Psyche. Well, I love her work, so I guess I'm getting this. I know nothing about it. I, I also went in <laughs> blind. Uh, one of the things she plays with a lot in here that I think is something she's very good at. She's a very sort of imagistic artist. She writes for herself sometimes. Sometimes she works with a writer and draws. Uh, she she does both here. And she plays with these repeated images, these sort of like, there's a lot of, there's this one specific flower emblem that recurs throughout this issue. Uh, but these images repeat in different ways. And I think, I mean, we're only maybe barely able to piece together meaning or the beginning of meaning for them here. But mm -hmm. it's so intentional that I feel like after... It may take this whole miniseries, but at some point, like, you'll be able to go back through this book and know exactly what every time each of these images has shown up, they mean. Right. That's how, that's how exactly how I feel. This is something that I, I'm definitely going to stick with because I'm, this issue just fascinated me to no end. I, I, I want, I'm, I'm craving more. I want to know what's going on. And I love that, like, it just keeps you in completely in the dark, but giving you, like, little, these little glimpses of light. Yeah. Enough to make you want more. Like, it keeps you on the yeah. hook. Yeah. I, I, I love that. This is definitely going on the list when I, when I go back to my shop this week. All right. We have another number one out this week from Aftershock Comics, The Bequest. This is written by Tim Seeley with art by Freddie E. Williams II. Colors by Jeremy Caldwell and letters by Marshall Dillon. Tell me what this one's about. <laughs> so uh, I don't have the issue in front of me right now. So basically, there is a like parallel universe to Earth. I am not recalling the name of the other like place it is. I think it's like Tangia or something like that. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, this group, uh, as um, the main character, uh, good lord, I am like blanking on every name from this because every every character in this book has an insane name. Um, you you must mean Warlock Garthod. Yes, that man. Uh, warlock, that an actual name, not a warlock, not a warlock, but he uh, he is a thief and a fighter and i like him and a scoundrel and i like him and he and his war party um they are sent to earth to uh basically capture a person who's from their world who has crossed over to earth and is basically trading magical items for earth weaponry to take over the realm that he comes from as well. And it seems like all as well as earth. And, uh, we mentioned prior to, to recording that this wasn't totally, it didn't hook you as, as, as much as you hoped it would. This totally hooked me. This was right up my alley. I loved every minute of it. Yeah. I, I think there are a lot of really cool ideas here. I am very much one of those people who struggles with, and I think this is true of a lot of high fantasy comics for me. This is not mm -hmm. unique to this book. 
I struggle with the first issues of fantasy books, especially in single issue, because internalizing all of the names and lore takes work on my part. It is not something that comes naturally to me to hold those kinds of details in my head. And I don't know if it's just because I struggle with fantasy names or yes. if it's if it's something just endemic to fantasy storytelling. It's a little bit at least the name thing. I know some of it is just I have trouble holding those proper nouns. And I do too. I just, you know, at some at some point I just stopped caring about that and I'm like it's the dude with the blonde hair and the sword. Oh, it's the guy it's the younger looking guy with the short hair. Uh oh, it's the the the, the woman who has wings. That person. Yeah. Or the 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 dude who turns out you know, is not what he appears to be at the beginning. And it turns out he's something completely different by the end. And it's I was gonna a say, wonderful reveal. I do want to talk about Relic, whom I love. Relic, Relic is amazing. Is the best part of this whole book. Uh, we meet Relic in sort of this prologue section where he handily dispatches what we come to learn are some of this, this warlord's minions, essentially this magical warlord's minions um, on earth. <laughs> And I don't want to spoil the the reveal with Relic, but Relic does have ties to Tangia and does kind of become the 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 commander, the the leader for this group who comes over to the mystical land of Chicago. I would liken him as like a Gandalf type character. He I was going to go with rec- Charlie and Charlie's Angels. I I like that too. He is Charlie Gandalf. Charlie Gandalf, which is also the name of my next D&D character. Those are, those are proper nouns I can keep in my head. Uh, also, Freddie E. Williams' art, I always dig. Uh, Jeremy Colwell colors him very well here. Uh, this has reminded me in part that I need to read that third Ninja Turtles Batman comic, because I have not finished that series. I need to read anything with the Ninja Turtles, because I've never read any Ninja Turtles comics. <laughs> Oh, we'll have that conversation separately. I'll there's an easy way to track through that and you'll enjoy it. Moving on. Mm-hmm. Orphan and the Five Beasts, number one. Written, drawn, colored, lettered, everything by James Stokoe. I think I first became aware of James Stokoe when I picked up and this is the, one of those rare occasions where I picked up a licensed comic just based on the title. It's this little book called Godzilla through t- Rage Acro- Godzilla Rage Across Time. It was a time traveling Godzilla book. That is not the one I thought you were going to say because he did another one as well. Oh, maybe it was the other one. Which one did you think I was going to say? The Half Century War. Nope, it wasn't that one. Okay, yeah, that one just got a re-release, and I I read that one. It is glorious. Uh, of course, he's he's done other things that are not Godzilla. We actually talked recently about a Batman one-shot that he drew that is unlike anything you ever see in a Batman comic. Uh, his style is so incredibly detailed, and anything he does is to me a must-read, which is why this made my list easily. Yes, I remember you, uh, in fact, you were the person I went to when I said, I'm going to start a new poll list, what's coming out that I should check out? This was on that list, and when I looked it up and saw James Takoa is, this is his new 
you know comic he's doing i'm like sold i'm doing i I don't i don't know anything about it i'm i'm sold yeah it it doesn't take premise to get me to pick up his books that said let's talk about premise uh this is i think most simply put sort of a a like samurai revenge style story right it's about a a young acolyte a young monk who has been trained by his master in these sort of five pillars of of their study and a a body turns up with a brand on his forehead whom this character orphan uh his master recognizes as being the symbol of a great evil who threatened the valley years before five villagers had come forward to sort of stand against him and asked asked orphan's master to train them each in one aspect of of his art he he ultimately said yes with the stipulation that they come back and master their studies otherwise it will lead to their corruption none of them return and these five beasts are those five villagers uh this is the story of orphan going to clean up his master's mess atone for his mistakes by fighting the five beasts we meet one of them in this issue oh god the ending was one of the most insane scenes in a comic book i have ever read i want to start with with the the what is his title the bandit king what is the bandit king's name do you remember I'm blanking. The Bandit King, Wait, Thunder Thighs. Thighs, that's right, yeah, Thunder Thighs. He has thighs the size of a horse, and it's easy to say this because when we meet him, he is riding a horse, which he crushes between his massive Thunder Thighs. Uh, whatever aspect, I guess, of this art that he has learned has given him powerful thighs. Massive thighs. As it turns out, thick thighs do not always save lives. In not this here, case, no. They, uh, they destroy them in this instance. No. Uh, these thighs make like Scott Snyder to this horse. <laughs> Scott Snyder has a habit of having characters punch and otherwise maim horses. Oh my god, you're right. Yeah. Oh shit. I, it's never, a... I never even thought of that. Wow, yeah, you're right. So, after, after that one he set on fire in Death of the Family... Became kind of a running thing on Twitter for a while. Scott Snyder yeah. and horse. He also murder. has a habit of putting Batman on really cool motorcycles. That's true too. Uh, yeah. So I've I have I have gone on about this book now. I will cede the floor to you and let you get a word in edgewise. Oh man, I mean, what is there to say? It's James Takoe. The, you know, we, we mentioned the two Godzilla comics. I we I sh- I also want to mention go read his uh, his Aliens miniseries Dead Orbit, also fantastic. Um, this reminds me. Um, I'm not sure if you've you've ever seen them. Have you ever heard of the Lone Wolf and Cub movies and the manga that they're based on? I have heard of them. I have not read the manga or seen the movies though. I have not read the manga, but I have I've watched most i've watched like the first four movies there's six of them i have them all um but i have like seen i've seen like images from the panels from the manga um i have like the criterion set in it like the all the art on the box is done by paul pope it's beautiful 
And this reminds me of something that's like, this is like Lone Wolf and Cub taken to like a supernatural 11. <laughs> and that's exactly what I want from a James Takoe book. I'm like, I want him to just be let loose. What I love about that first action scene with the orphan, um, Mo, I believe is his name. That's uh, right. Yeah. When he first confronts the bandits, what I love so much is that he does not kill any of them. He just wounds the crap out of all of them. Yeah. He, he incapacitates. Very yes, he incapacitates them very well and gets information from them. And then the final panel is him confronting Thunder Thighs, and we have to wait till the next issue to find out what to to get that action scene. And I am oh, I'm 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 like I'm I'm ready for it. Yeah, I mean, we could we could I imagine someday you will spend a whole episode talking about this book. Uh I will probably have an episode uh, in the future where I talk about any of his comics. Probably that Aliens yeah. comic because I I have a I have a soft spot in my heart for the Aliens franchise and um, and I love when people just like take the concept of, from the movies and just go go hard with it. Yeah, but I will I will leave it at pacing and choosing where to put detail and how much detail to include. Sometimes pushed to really ludicrous ends to great effect james takoe can give a master class in that just read any of his books and you'll see it over at dc justice league number 59 the first justice league entry in infinite frontier uh the the justice league story here is called prisms it is written by brian michael bindus with art by david marquez Colors by Tamara Bonvillain, and letters by Josh Reed. This is a really interesting first issue of a Justice League comic, because it's very much... We get a little bit of action here. It's not without action. Mm-hmm. But this is more more talking about why do we exist, what can we do, and what should we be doing than I'm used to seeing in a Justice League book. And I dig that. Yeah, so I'm I am very unfamiliar with uh Brian Michael Bendis and his work. Um in fact, I believe the In fact, the only comic outside of this single issue that I have read of his it was his um his Batman miniseries Universe with Nick mm-hmm. Darrington that he did. Um other than that, like I like, you know, there is, you know, alias and torso and scarlet and powers and daredevil and ultimate spider-man actually i have read ultimate spider-man i've read i've read a lot of ultimate spider-man i forgot about that one but um but yeah like i'm not like super familiar with with the majority of his work but reading this issue i was taken aback because uh you know the last time i was reading justice league it was written by scott snyder and james tynan and they went hard on that run together mm-hmm. and here this was like that you know bendis was like taking a step back and going let's slow the pace down a little bit yes we're gonna have some so you know a few pages of really fun action but uh let, let, let let's let's talk about some things here let's talk about you know let's talk about why the justice league exists let's talk about you know whether or not they could be doing more it's it's very reflective yeah 
And the thing I think that he does is that is very clever is he brings in Green Arrow and gives Green Arrow, if you grew up on the Bruce Tim Paul Dini cartoons, like I did, did I. a very recognizable kind of starting point. We sit up here like gods and do these things, but what does this really mean to the average person? It's a little different than what it is in the Justice League cartoons, but it's still a very green arrow. I'm going to look out for the little guy. Yeah, it reminded me of, um, there's a moment, it's in season two of Justice League Unlimited, where green arrow, finally, he shows up in that show, in that first episode, in fact. Um, but it's after like, you know, in season two, there's all of the, you know, insane things that, that are happening in season two, uh, that lead up to Brainiac and Lex Luthor combining, which is one of the greatest things in the entire world is that yeah. those, la- those, those four episodes written by Dwayne McDuffie, rest in peace, Dwayne McDuffie, one of the greatest writers ever. Agreed. Um, but there is an episode where in a kid's cartoon, Green Arrow says the sentence, look, I'm an old lefty. Yes. And I'm like, wait, what? Hold on a second. That's he has kid's cartoon. <laughs> he has the line in this issue. Listen, I just think we should be doing more. I think would be I think we could be helping more than we do. Which is very Green Arrow. Mm-hmm. But is also very Superman. And Superman replies with, I agree, Oliver. What do you think we need to do? And they they go down this road. Bendis has been writing Superman, and I've really enjoyed Bendis's time on Superman. And it's easy for me to see how his Superman would also share this view with Green Arrow, which is a different take than what we got in that cartoon. He starts with the recognizable and then comes around to this other tack. This tells me this is going to be a Justice League book about changing how the Justice League operates changing Mm -hmm. what its scope and focus is uh some other pieces of this that i've got some context for that you don't black adam is behaving a little out of character here i believe we're seeing the black adam who was sent back to the past from eighty-three thousand years in the future at the end of future state and not the black adam who is sort of contemporaneous to the dc Hmm. universe yeah, I, I I I know my I have some history with Black Adam, so I was taken aback by like he is not acting as um shall we say evil? Like you know Bombastic at the very least. Yes. Uh that is that that yeah, that that word is doing a lot of heavy lifting there. <laughs> uh we also get a couple of other great moments. I want to talk about one, Aquaman and the Wall of Sharks. Yes. I don't normally release a wall of sharks in someone, but <laughs> for you, I'll make an exception. Exception. Oh, I love um, that. and that leads directly into. I love David Marquez as an artist and his work mm-hmm. on this book. Uh, which is to I'm say mostly nothing familiar of... with his work. I'm mostly familiar with his work on Jason Aaron's Avengers run, in particular the Arc War of the Vampires, which I was yes. a big fan of because I love Blade. As I mentioned at the top of this episode, love Blade. So I was very happy to see that. And and Tamara Bonvillain colors him beautifully. Yes. That, that wall of sharks leads directly into an underwater fight between this 
interdimensional threat Brutus, who great I will name. say, like, not only great name, but weird, weird splitting, splitting the uprights between comic relief and threatening villain. Like, he's a threat, mm-hmm. but you also are kind of laughing as he goes. Oh, yeah, because he he's just like trying to take the piss out of everyone throughout but- the fight. This leads into this really great silent underwater fight between Brutus and Aquaman that I think is really well executed, both in, in layout and in choreography. Yeah, this was a this was a double splash page, like like across with uh not splash page, but like it was double page you know what spread. I mean. Yeah, yeah, double page spread. I can't word sometimes, you know? Hey, it's all good. Uh, trust me, I can't word most of the time. And yet we host podcasts. The world's a funny place. Uh, this this ends with bringing in a character who I'm excited to see more of. Uh, Naomi McDuffie, named in fact for Dwayne McDuffie. Yes, uh, uh, I have no context with Naomi like I said I this is the first other than that Batman universe miniseries this is the first well let's say in continuity Bendis book from DC that I've read I have not read any of Naomi or Young Justice or Legion of Superheroes or any of Superman like I I would like to read his Superman run um did he end his run on Superman he did uh it ended in December his run on Superman in action both Okay. Uh, the last issues of each of those of his run came out that month, couple months off for future state. And then this month, Philip Kennedy Johnson has come in after writing a couple of future state titles for Superman and right. taken over both ongoings. Well, now that it's um, over, I might, I might go back and try and read all of those. Cause I was reading the Lois Lane series and I was enjoying that one. Yeah. I strongly recommend both of those. Uh, Naomi and Young Justice are both excellent reads. I think those have been collected in their entirety at this point. Uh, And then just since you mentioned Lois Lane, if you haven't read Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, it is... I did read the first issue. It was delightful. That series is a treat. Shifting gears a little bit, Justice League Dark, which now exists as a backup in Justice League. It's a little longer than you normally think of a backup being. Uh, it, it definitely feels meaty. This is, this issue is called Return to Caledonia. It is written by Ram V. Art is by Hermanico. Color is by Romulo Fayardo Jr. And letters by Rob Lee. Is this your first issue of Ram V? It is, because I still haven't read that first issue of Swamp Thing like I would like to. So, what did you think? Uh, Ram V... Do I say this? Um, he feels like a really interesting spiritual successor to like 90s and early 2000s Grant Morrison. I will accept that. I get where you're coming from with that. Um, I, what I think he does super well here is he does in 10 pages very efficiently what... I would expect a lot of people to do in 20 pages. Um, he uses the real estate he is given, I think, super well. We see the return of Merlin, uh, drawing, of course, from the As- Asgardian. Wow, the Arthurian, <laughs> the, the Arthurian legend. We get a very sort of classical take on Merlin with 
with the caveats built throughout that like yes okay he's been gone there's still all the dc history that he's tied into there uh and he is back and we get a little time spent with zatanna and john constantine um maybe the healthiest their relationship has felt in a while uh as they go on what feels like a weirdly romantic version of investigating a pair of prophecies that were foretold by two different groups one pro good and one maybe not pro evil but dealing with demons and the forces of hell uh that were told 1300 years apart about the same night in the same remote town of what was that new mexico Arizona, the American Midwest. Yeah, the Midwest. Uh, that's the South, boy. Southwest. That's the one I meant. That's that. Yes, the Southwest. Uh, Those are my next door neighbors. <laughs> uh, and also, we, you mentioned his name, and I, I have to bring this up. Hermonico is one of my favorite artists working today, and uh, he he. My first encounter with him was on the on the black stars miniseries during grant morrison's green lantern run and i've been following everything i've been just trying to catch like everything he's been doing and it's just fantastic his art is just really really good here i i agree he's become one of my favorites as well i believe romulo fiardo jr is is the colorist he usually works with i believe i'm used to seeing their names together uh, mm-hmm. certainly here like Fardo brings a sense of light and darkness he's really great at like glowing flame on page yeah that yeah really works well here i think every every scene of merlin walking through that church and then going into the i guess you call it a basement and, and encountering the soldier and getting the sword ev- like every panel of that is just absolutely gorgeous yeah i I don't know entirely where this is going. Uh, we did see a flash of a possible future uh, in Future State, but this is functionally the beginning of a new run on this book. Romvi wrote it for a while, finishing up the story that that James Tynan started telling with uh, No Justice, that spun out mm-hmm. of that book. Uh, but this is this is sort of him doing his own thing and it won't come as a surprise to anyone who listens that I love it because I have made very clear. He is one of my favorites at this point, but I am, I'm glad it made a good first impression on you. It's fantastic. All right. Nightwing number 78 written by Tom Taylor. Art by Bruno Redondo. Colors by Adriano Lucas and letters by Wes Abbott. This is a really, really good week. In any normal week, like any of these books we've talked about would be a solid pick for favorite book that week. And saying that, it's hard for me not to call this my favorite this week. This is my second favorite. We're going to get to my favorite later. That's fair. You already Um, know what my favorite is. (laughs) I I know what your favorite is. So we, we have recorded a couple of episodes of Comics Quest together. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've mentioned them out on in outros on this on this show already oh, I uh, that. hey you know cross promote it's how it's how it's how networks work yeah um 
But one of my missions has become forcing as much Tom Taylor down your throat as quickly as possible. <laughs> yes, uh, because I have been someone of like, Tom Taylor, that's the guy who wrote the Injustice comics. No, I'm out of here. Um, but you you and also just people on Twitter have turned me around and gone, you know what, maybe I need to give Tom Taylor a chance. And then there is the little thing that he did during um, Tom King's Batman run. Uh, Batman Annual Number 3, in a story entitled Father's Day that Tom Taylor mm-hmm. wrote with art by Otto Schmidt, is I'm going to say one of my top five single issues of Batman comics ever. It is an incredible issue. And so now Nightwing number 78 is the second issue of a Tom Taylor comic I've ever read. And I have to say, I am going to be reading everything of his from this point on. I am in love. Good, good. (laughs) Mr. Burns fingers. <laughs> well, it's an audio medium. I've got a. I've got a. Yeah, you got to be specific. Uh, and all. Yeah, I. I. I love this issue. Bruno Redondo. I'm familiar with from stuff on Justice League and 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 other DC books. Um, but I love this. I love the spirit of it. I love the action i love what it's setting up with uh what's going to be happening in in, happening in the city of bloodhaven it's fantastic top to bottom yeah it this this issue does a really smart job of i mean dick grayson has been around so long it's so easy to justify any version of who dick grayson is to a given writer by pointing at any part of his history. I'm sure you can do it with this. Point at other Nightwing issues that build the case that this is who Dick Grayson is. But this opens by defining that, essentially, by saying this is who Dick Grayson is to Tom Taylor to this run. Dick Grayson will stand up against a bully. He does not like bullies. He does not like people leveraging power over those who have none. And he will not abide it. Yeah, it's it is very Captain America. I don't like bullies. Uh, I love that this first scene that we get, uh, which is set while he's young teens, I would say, maybe thirteen, fourteen. If. That's how I read it. Yeah. Uh, he and Barbara Gordon meeting maybe for the first time, uh, in the park as as Dick stops to keep some bullies from beating up this kid hands them their asses and they try to like threaten oh we've got so much money these cops will never do anything about it barbara gordon pipes up what do you think dad as jim gets out of the car yes like <laughs> we see dick wonderful. being great and we see the way barbara will have his back not because regardless of relationship just the way she'll have his back when he does the right thing it tells us so much about both of them individually. And I think that's really important for a book that we've been told up front is going to be exploring their relationship with each other. Yes. Uh, like she feels whole and complete as a character on her own, regardless of anything Dick does. She also mm-hmm. wipes the floor with him later in the book in a very satisfying way. Yeah. And uh, what I love 
we get a scene of him with Alfred. Because, yes. look, I, I have been on the record saying that I am someone who is more positive on Tom King's run. There is one thing that I really wish he, I, I really wish he didn't do, which was kill Alfred off. Yeah, I mean, I love Alfred. That I actually don't have a problem narratively with. I, I love Alfred. I, I miss it's him. It's just the, the like I love him so much that I wish he wasn't that I wish he wasn't yeah. gone. But I'm glad it's, that I like like I was so happy of like <gasps> Tom Taylor like found a way to bring him back and just just give a flashback. Yeah. And that that sets up something very important to this issue about uh how even in his death Alfred will uh affect the trajectory of dick's life i will say this uh tom taylor is in a club of comic book writers who very consistently can get me quite teary this issue did do that the fire escape scene uh definitely had me tearing up crying a little bit um such a good book we we haven't talked enough either about the art in this book it is adriano lucas another colorist who just makes things glow on the page that's what i wanted to point out i love how how bright and colorful this is because and of course this you know comic books are known for being bright and colorful this but this one in particular and i wanted that from a nightwing comic because dick grayson is someone who is uh we we consistently have to point out i feel as as batman fans that like night dick grayson is the is you know the he's supposed to be like the opposite in personality to Bruce, you know, especially like when he was Robin, he was the end. He was the opposite of Batman. And, you know, even when he became Nightwing and he gets a darker costume, doesn't matter. He's still going to be, you know, this guy who's always going to smile through, you know, through the bullshit and, and, and help people no matter what, and well, always have a smile on his face. He's hopeful in a way that Bruce cannot be. Bruce would cease to be Batman if Bruce were hopeful in, in at least a traditional way. Yeah. Uh, I can, I can accept that Bruce sees his outlook as hopeful in a way, but it is in a way. I think Dick is, Dick is someone who is looking to build something better, not stop something bad. And that's a different version of hope. Speaking of hope, not a segue I meant to build, but I will take it <laughs> since it's here. Superman, red and blue number one. Uh, we've got five stories from five different creative teams here. This is the Batman black and white model, essentially. Before we get into it, JD, what do you normally think about these kinds of short story anthology series? I have never had an opinion on any of them because I've never read any of them. Uh, in fact, I did not even know that... Bat, that that was what black batman black and white was i never knew what that was essentially and uh when we were talking about it before the episode uh started i was like oh that's what that is cool and and i didn't realize that red and blue is like following that model just you know different color scheme as a first entry then in this this kind of format of comic what did you think of this it's okay. It's all right. Yeah. I, I I I was I enjoyed it, and uh, I don't know if I will continue with it, but I 
I definitely enjoyed it, and if I you know come across them again, I'll I'll pick them up because I I I definitely enjoy them. I definitely enjoy you know having creators come in, not even for a full issue, just for you know a few pages, you know for like seven or eight pages, just to come in and tell a small little story about a character that they love. Um, I like I like that. Yeah, I think I think short form comic writing is its own specific skill for me. And this is, this is what Batman black and white Superman, red and blue really focus on. And I think why they remain so successful. Uh, of course, Superman, red and blue, this is the first time we've seen this Batman black and white. We get entries in every few years. These series take a very art forward approach. So they're not just about, let's get some writers who love these characters coming in for five pages. But let's pair them with a really powerhouse art team on this short form project that they can really take their time on. So we're we're not going to go through all of these one by one. Uh, I will ask you, what was your favorite or maybe couple of favorite story or stories in this one? So the two that stood out to me um, were the third and fourth stories. Um, the first being The Boy Who Saved Superman, written uh, by Wes Craig, art by art and colors by Wes Craig as well, and letters by Darren Bennett. And then Human Colors, uh, written by Dan Waters, with art and colors by Danny, and letters by Dave Sharp. Uh, you know, I know you, you love Homesick Pilots, uh we both it's true we we both love homesick pilots let's be honest um and we both enjoy coffin bound so we are dan waters and danny fans and i was pleasantly surprised to find out that this team got to do a short form superman story um which was very different from any of the others and like it actually they and what was so interesting is that they actually like used you know the 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 fact that they only have two colors to work with red and blue they used that in the story narratively yeah i i am a sucker for any time you bring in fifth dimension characters mr mitzit spitlick and the like and this this also plays to that fondness of mine it's great uh I, I do think it's super clever. Boy Who Saved Superman is also a great pick. I, I was surprised one, by this book. That one w- almost got me almost got me teary-eyed, to be honest. That one Yeah, I uh It's so good. It's so good. Also, I it took me longer than it should have. I am not proud of how long it took me to catch that uh we're we're introduced to a photographer who is applying for a job, interviewing for a job at the Daily Planet, who Superman describes as his hero. And this this issue is this or this story is the story of why. It took me a little too long to catch um that his last name was El Call. And you know, we have Call L. I just realized that as you said that. <laughs> but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's it's a story about this guy who, when he was a kid, just would not give up in getting an unconscious Superman to where he needed to be to save his city. Because he didn't think either of them would want to lose a home again. It's it's a really beautiful story. 
Uh, I think Gun to My Head, I'd probably call those two my favorite as well. I am a big sucker for John Ridley's comics work lately, so I will mention his story, which is called Untitled. Uh, the artist on this story is Clayton Henry. Colors are by Jordi Belair, and letters are by Dave Sharp. This is a story about Clark Kent returning to a former Soviet bloc state to interview their leader. And this is actually him dealing with a significant piece of trauma. Earlier in his career as Superman, he had been captured and held in one of their prison camps, in one of their concentration camps, for eight months. And this leader ran that camp. He laughed over a weakened, tortured Superman on a daily basis. And it's very much about, one, Clark confronting that, but two, Clark continuing to weigh, I have all the power to stop him, but I can't morally, ethically do that. It's not my place. It would cause more problems than it would solve. I can write about him, and I, I will write about him, but I don't even know what good that will do. I don't know what power I can have other than to stare him in the eyes. Uh, it's a heavy story, but yeah. I think phenomenally yeah, it, it, it well was, executed uh, it was a very interesting one to open this issue on as well yeah uh the other two stories here which i mean all of these are fantastic that's that's i think part of what's great about books like this is they they don't have a weak link the measure of hope is written written by brandon easton with art by steve lieber colors by ron chan and letters by clayton cowles this is about superman talking to a man whose mother died of a drug problem and uh this man had written to Superman and Superman just didn't get to the letters in time. That such a volume of letters he had to go through. It took too long. Uh, and sort of dealing with one being looked at as a symbol of hope, but also failing sometimes to meet that, uh, really like Brandon Easton as a writer. I was glad to see him in here. And then the, the last story is called the school of hard knock, knock jokes. <laughs> which is a great title. Uh, it's about a young Kal-El's or a young Clark Kent's first day at school uh, and sort of learning to make friends and then learning to be an example. It's written by Marguerite Bennett, who never disappoints. Art and colors are by Jill Thompson and letters are by Troy Pateri. Uh, I was around so really see Jill Thompson's work. I love, I love her. Yes. And it was beautiful. That was a gorgeous, gorgeous story. It was. I want to quickly talk about Black Knight, Curse of the Ebony Blade, number one. This is written by Cy Spurrier, pencils are by Sergio Davila, inks by Sean Parsons, colors by Arif Prianto, and letters by Corey Pettit. This is the beginning of a six-issue miniseries about Dane Whitman, the Black Knight. Not a character I'm super familiar with. My first real introduction was Cy Spurrier's King in Black, Black Knight tie-in. This, this continues forward with the premise that book introduced, which is that the Ebony Blade is, in fact, a curse. This this issue positions it as the opposite of Mjolnir. You have to be entirely unworthy to lift it. Uh, there's, in fact, a scene where Thor, who fucking hates Dane Whitman, the scorn Thor has for the Black Knight is palpable. Like, all of the Avengers, when he shows up to help them, are made just uncomfortable by him. But Thor... You know how when you meet someone, and there's no reason, but you just can't stand their fucking face? That's Thor with, with Dane Whitman. Um, Carol at one point is like, 
should you maybe mentor him? No, absolutely not. Thor tries to lift the ebony blade and he can't even pick it up. Like, it's it's positioned as the exact opposite. This, though, builds on that premise. Uh, Dane Whitman does not like that he can wield this power simply because of how much he struggles to control his anger, his his sadness. That those things become sources of power for him. Um, he and the Avengers are attacked as they're finishing up, cleaning up one mess, by this shrouded figure who whispers all of their greatest regrets in their ears. And then he gets to Dane Whitman, and Whitman's like, fuck man, you're gonna whisper the thing I'm the most upset about in my own ear? I do that every day. Um... And then gets his throat slit to show for it. Uh, but he's also called in this specialist in Arthurian legend to try to help him untangle the history of this this sword and see what he can do to sort of overcome overcome this this more or less curse, right? This power coming from his own his own baggage, his own trauma. Um, she's convinced that none of these legends are real, uh, which might be a problem for him to hear if he hadn't had his head chopped off but the good news is when she touches the blade and goes on a trip and sees arthurian camelot uh he reattaches his head and comes back to life there is a lot going on this book and i do not know what the fuck is up but i love it this book is a trip and a delight and i do not know if this is normal for Black Knight, but I am I am here for this ride. I am so excited for the next issue of this. I'll have to check it out after uh, we, I read that King and Black issue. Yes, yes, definitely read that first. We also have King and Black Spider-Man number one this week. Uh, this is lettered by Joe Caramagna. It has a main feature written by Jed McKay with pencils by Michelle Bondini, inks by Michelle Bondini and Elisabetta D'Amico, and colors by Eric Arseniega. Uh, both of these stories are about Spider-Man. This is, this one is from Spider-Man's perspective. He is dealing with feelings of responsibility for Venom being in this reality. He sees ultimately end of the day that King and Black is his fault, even if it's not a problem he directly caused. Uh, and realizes that maybe the place he can do the most good is in helping evacuate helping keep people safe he's reminded of this by reptile now i am not familiar with reptile very much are you familiar with reptile nope uh marvel recently announced a reptile miniseries and claimed he would be the next breakout star of the marvel comic universe um he's a kid who can turn into dinosaurs so you know what i i will buy this premise 100 coolest fucking superpower Yes, I, um, I'm on board. I love dinosaurs. <laughs> as a kid, it's the power I would have wanted. Let me be dino. In fact, Peter gets a little jealous of it in this issue. Um, it's a fun, the, the main story is a fun team up between the two of them. The biggest reason I wanted to mention it is because I don't know if Jed McKay is gunning to write the Spider-Man I'm going when Nick Spencer is done, but he makes a really strong case here for eventually getting a turn at the helm. He writes a Peter who I really, really like. Um, and he takes very much an angle that reminded me of the the PS4, PS5 game that I just finished playing. 
uh, there's a line in there that May has repeatedly, when you help one person, you help everyone, is a very, like, I think, canny inversion of with great power comes great responsibility. Like, it's a great corollary to that. And this sort of comes from that same place. The backup story here, which is also written by Jed McKay, uh, with art by Alberto Albuquerque and letters by Rochelle Rosenberg, is kind of reptiles side of it, sort of his responding to getting to team up with Peter and do good in this way. Uh, I think it's meant to be a little more direct introduction to that character ahead of that miniseries, which this has made me all the more excited for. Last one, I know that this is uh, this is the book you asked to save for last. This is Thor, number 13. 13, if you will. Written by Donny Cates. Art by Nick Klein. Colors by Matt Wilson. And letters by Joe Sabino. Tell me about Thor. It's the greatest comic ever. I love it so much. (laughs) (laughs) That's a little exaggeration, but... So, um, if anyone knows me in real life, um, you know, I'm, I'm a... I'm a big fan of Donny Cates. I I really fucking love Donny Cates. I love everything he does. I have read I've read nearly everything. Um, I haven't read I I'm I haven't read Baby Teeth yet or Interceptor or a Tomahawk. I'm behind on Redneck. Other than that and or and Venom because again I'm behind on stuff. But, but yeah. Thor, I got caught up on immediately because I. I was reading that in single issues when it started. I got to issue four, the pandemic hit, and then I got caught and then I got behind. But recently I got caught up and I was really looking forward to um the second arc after the the first the Devourer King. The second arc called Prey. Um I did not know what was gonna go on. But once I got into that first issue and they start talking about Donald Blake and in the history and and why he exists in the first place and the ending of that first issue of prey with the reveal of who donald blake is now was terrifying it was like thor as a horror comic works really really well it works so well and then over the course of these of the next couple issues we get a Throg Lockjaw team up. We have Sif uh, and Beta Ray Bill and Volstag and the all and and every citizen of Asgard getting teleported to Dimension Blood. Uh, we have Donald Blake just destroying Doctor Strange. We get a rivalry between Lockjaw and or not Lock uh, between Throg and Mister Horse. And then we get to this issue where Valkyrie, Jane Foster, has discovered where Odin is because she believes Odin needs to clean up his damn mess, which, you know, he does. And uh, it it is revealed at the end of the last issue um, that she has that she finds him in some space bar just getting drunk off his ass and it's revealed at the beginning of this issue why it that he, that um he after he gave up the throne to thor and gave up the odin pa- and gave the um like the all father powers to him 
uh, he and his wife and Queen Freya, uh, they basically traveled the cosmos trying to rekindle the the flames of love that they've had. And over time, and over that time, they real they like they started growing apart more and more. And then by the time that his love for her was rekindled, she had left. So now yeah. he is just a depressed old man with a magnificent beard. <laughs> I mean, seriously, one of the most magnificent beards in comics, uh, for sure. No and doubt. Rocking that buzz cut too. Uh, but it's fantastic. Um, I was very, as a fan of Donny Cates' Doctor Strange run, I was very happy to see Loki and Steven see each other for the first time since <laughs> that run. And that Loki scene was just, fantastic. Oh my god, and then Bats popping in and just cursing him the hell out. <laughs> there was, I think I even sent you this, there was a, a Twitter exchange between Donny Cates and a reader where they had just discovered bats and tweeted at Donny Cates and he responded and someone else like someone else responds to that uh, with, Oh yeah. And how long is it going to be before you kill him? He's like, I did. That's why he's a ghost. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe Donny Cates has endangered a few animal characters. A and few. yeah, like <laughs> look, uh, in actuality, he has only ever killed like one dog. And he like got better. Killed. He came back as a ghost. He came back as a ghost. He so kind of almost killed Lockjaw, but it turns out that was a bait. That was a, a a good bait and switch. Yes. Um. And you could argue like Hulk was like Thanos's dog in Thanos Wins, and he died in that. So there's. Well, that. I was gonna but, say like it looked spotty for Throg a couple of issues ago. Yes, it did. It did when he like busts through and he looks at Jane and says, Jane, run. That was terrifying. But how are you going to form a new pet Avengers if you don't show that these pets can handle it? Exactly. Which look, Donny Case has has been saying that like he has another Marvel project he's working on after like he he's wrapping up his Venom run in May. Um and he's he he has said that he's going to probably be on Thor for like a good 5 years. So but he has announced that he has another project. I don't think it's the, I I do believe he's going to do Pet Avengers, no doubt. Um but I don't think that that secret project he's doing is Pet Avengers. No, I feel like Pet Avengers will be the crowning achievement of his time at Marvel. And that is when he hangs up Marvel for a moment and says I'm going to Write my own thing, or I'm going to go to DC for a bit. Yeah, he has talked about going to C- DC, and he has plans for he like he has ideas for like a whole Batman run. He has plans to like reboot the Authority, and he has ideas for stories for the Question. I want him to write Green Lantern. To be honest, um, he has mentioned that he like he grew up learning how to read by reading amazing by reading Spider Man and Green Lantern. So. Now, don't get me wrong. I am absolutely here for this. That said, as soon as you said Donny Cates and the Authority in one breath, that's what I need. Yeah, it would be incredible. Also, who do you get to... On it, that's, that's how you get Donny and Ryan Stegman back together. Because can you imagine Ryan Stegman 
penciling Midnighter and Apollo together. Written oh, by I Donny went, Cates. That's a great pairing. I went a very different route. I went to Nick Robles. I'm not familiar with him. He is right now working on The Dreaming with G. Willow Wilson. Okay. He also did a miniseries a few years back that was absolutely fantastic that Teeny Howard wrote called Euthanauts. I'm trying to look up because I don't know how to spell his last name. R-O-B-L-E-S. Gotcha. Ooh. Oh. Oh. Oh, I like. Oh, I like. And he's from Louisiana. He's from the South. Oh, oh. Yeah. Oh, this is very gay and I like it a lot. We both went very different directions here, but I think we made good choices. Uh, yeah. Um, so I, I prefer your choice to be honest. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was just, I was just thinking of like digging into the, to the artists that he has worked with that he could work with again. Um, cause you know, I, I'm, I've been loving Venom. I, I do wish that Ryan Stegman was on it a bit more, even though like, you know, he did Rex and most of the abyss and he's done the events, absolute carnage and King and black. Um, I wish he was on it a bit more. So I, I, I'm, I really would love to see Donnie and Ryan work together more. That being said, Donnie and Nick Klein together. Um, Nick Klein was born to draw Thor. Yes. Absolutely. And, and uh, also bring back Matt Wilson, who is, Hands down, my favorite color artist working right now. I, I lo- I loved every th- his his work when he was when Jason Aaron was writing Thor was fantastic. Um, a comic that we talked about on my show, Comics Quest, which you can find on a certain POV network. Uh, we talked uh Black Widow. Uh, in fact, that episode drops tomorrow. Uh, the day after this episode comes out. Uh, Nicely I love done. His work on like yeah. Uh, his work on like Paper Girls and The Wicked and the Divine, it's incredible. And I, I, I love this team and I hope this team of Kate's, Klein and Wilson stick together for a bit longer. Cause I, you, you know, that artists are going to, are going to come and go on this book. You know, that's what happens with, you know, these large titles, um, at Marvel and DC, but I do hope that Nick Klein sticks around for a bit longer. All right. Is it still good? Which is all me this week. <laughs> all Buckle you this up. week. Abbott, nineteen seventy three, number three. Elena Abbott continues to deal with the magics that are uh, knocking down her doorstep, but also adds to that mix the disappearance of her girlfriend, and seeks help from the one person who she knows will have her back, her brother, Catwoman, number twenty nine. I love this book so much. It remains absolutely gorgeous. Uh, Rom V and Fernando Blanco have stayed on into Infinite Frontier. Jordi Belair has taken over colors. Selena is on everyone's radar now that she has uh, asserted her power and realizes that maybe, maybe she has to solve a mystery about what's going on in her backyard, and maybe the only person who can help her is a hopped-up Edward Nigma. The next Batman, Second Son, number four. We see Jace uh, realizing that he needs some resources as uh, 
he still has work to do on his last contract. And he takes up a position in Fox or Wayne Industries, Fox Industries. What is the company called now? I wonder Uh, a position with his father to try to get access to some resources to finish the job. Captain Marvel number 27, following all of the events in the future, Carol gets some strange champions. Number five, we wrap up the Kamala's law. Uh, storyline and learn that Roxxon was behind it all the time. Uh, this sets up what we see actually in a two-page teaser, uh, the beginning of Danny Lore's run, which will start officially in number six, with Miles and Sam going undercover as social media interns for Roxxon to investigate how they managed to pull off this Kamala's Law thing. Over on Krakoa, we have Sword number four, which is also a King and Black tie-in. Manifold and, well, it's kind of Manifold on his own in Krakoa for most of this issue. Deal with a nullified Cable who seems to have taken over all of Krakoa. While Mentalo tries to convince the Five he should let him kidnap them, on Abigail Brand's orders to keep them safe. Uh, and X-Force number 18. Kid Omega and Phoebe of the Stepford Cuckoos continue to investigate all of the attacks that seem to have been committed by Quentin. Uh, as X-Men around, or mutants around Krakoa realize that being tired, or being drunk, or uh, being upset are opening the doors to psychic attacks from the astral plane by, it seems like, again, Quentin Quire. I see that head shaking. Don't judge. Don't judge the X-Men. They're fantastic. No, I'm just shaking my head at Quentin. What a piece of shit. I mean, Quentin Quentin is to X-Men what Damian Wayne is to Batman. No. Yes. No. Damien is better. <laughs> Damien is better. I will die on this hill. Well, we can. But, uh, but of course, you know, the, the same person did create both characters, and that is the wonderful writer that is Grant Morrison, the greatest writer of all time. Moving on to this week's books. <laughs> hey, you're the guest. I'll let you have the last word on that one. I'm not going to argue with Grant Morrison. They're the best. They are. They are. They very well may be. That may be an unassailable position. Infinite Frontiers, next round of books. We have Action Comics 1029 with a main story by Philip Kennedy Johnson, Phil Hester and Eric Gapster, Hi-Fi, and Dave Sharp. Uh, That is, of course, continuing the two-part story that was set up in Superman number 29 by the same team. We also have the Tales of Metropolis Midnighter backup. By Michael W. Conrad, Becky Cloonan, Michael Avon Oming, and Taki Soma. This, of course, bridges between Future State Midnighter and the upcoming Midnighter miniseries. Batman Superman number 16 begins Jean Lun Yang's run with Ivan Rice and Danny Mickey, Sabine Rich, and Saida Timofante rounding out the creative team. Gonna skip Detective Comics for a moment and come back to it to tease mostly, mostly to key up JD a little bit. Harley Quinn number one, 
uh, begins the the official ongoing from Stephanie Phillips, Riley Rossmo, Ivan Placencia, and Darren Bennett. Of course, if you read Future State or uh, Batman Urban Legends, you are familiar with Stephanie Phillips's writing the character and know that this is going to be a good, good book. And then Teen Titans Academy. Maybe the one on this list I'm most excited for? Written by Tim Sheridan, with pencils by Rafa Sandoval, inks by Jordi Tarragona, colors by Alejandro Sanchez, and letters by Rob Lee. We've seen peaks of this future in Future State. Uh, We know the Teen Titans have built a school. If you missed those issues, they are putting them out together again in a single one-shot called Teen Titans Ruin, I believe, or Teen Titans Academy Ruin, that will also be on shelves this week if you need to catch up. Uh, This, of course, is the debut of Red X in continuity. It is trying to stave off a huge catastrophe that destroys the school and kills... Uh, various heroes and sends Billy Batson and Shazam into a very dark place. Maybe ends the universe. There's a lot writing on what happens in this book, and I'm super excited. But still, maybe not as excited as JD is for Detective Comics number 1034. Written by Marika Tamaki with art by Dan Mora, colors by Jordi Belair, and letters by Aditya Bidikar. I am so excited for this book! <sighs> ah! <laughs> look here's the thing you got a perfect team you got a perfect team here like look you have marika tamaki uh writer of one of my five favorite comics of all time laura dean keeps breaking up with me look out for that episode uh on my podcast uh you have dan mora artist of claws and once in future you have jordi belair i mean her work on everything from Doctor Strange to Death of the Inhumans to The Vision to Batman. Utterly fantastic. Aditya Bidikar, um is great. Uh, his work on, specifically on Homesick Pilots is fantastic. And you get this team together to tackle Batman while James Tynan is off, you know, doing his thing on the main title and doing some fucking, you know, Joker ongoing, whatever that whatever that's going to be. Uh, surprisingly have, good it's surprisingly good is what it is look i, I i'm you know i i i bet it is i'm just burnt out on joker at this point oh, in my life no one more so than me it's about joker like jaws is about the shark it's a jim gordon book but we digress oh shit now i have to check it out anyway but I'm excited for this. I'm excited for for everything going on with, uh, you know, like you know the 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 loss of the mansion and his fortune and the election of a new mayor and this growing anti vigilante sentiment in the in the city. Bruce has to rethink everything he's doing, or you know, and if he doesn't, then shit's gonna go sideways and he also has to deal with the new murder mystery so i am i'm over the moon about what's going on in this book and i'm i cannot wait we also have a backup uh in this issue robin demon or detective part two this continues obviously that story introduced in batman this month Written by Joshua Williamson, art and colors by Gleb Melnikov, and letters by Troy Pateri. This is another backup that is setting up a series that begins in April 
following Robin kind of on his own, Damian Wayne on his own, uh, without the Bat family or the Al Ghul family behind him. A few more non-DC books. Uh, Bitterroot number 11. This is, of course, from the creators of the series, David F. Walker, Chuck Brown, and Sanford Green. Colors are by Sophie Dodgson and letters by Clayton Cowles. I think this is one of the best books coming out right now. I adore this series. Uh, The end of the second arc put us in a new place that made me immediately want more. And I've been waiting for a while now to get more and could not be any more excited. That's the word more too many times for it to still have any meaning. Tell me about Once in Future, number 17. I have no idea what's going on. I'm just excited for it. Because, uh, <laughs> as I mentioned previously, there are a lot of comics I'm catching up on. Once in Future is one of them, and I'm just enjoying the ride. And I was not sure when the next issue was coming out until you you brought up that list and I was like, Oh wow. New issue next week. I'm, I'm instantly excited for that. So, um, and, uh, you know, Dan Moore again, coming in hot. I, I, I love the guy. His art is immaculate. I love it. Colored by Tamara Bond villain. I love her work on everything. We mentioned her work earlier, uh, on justice league this, this past week. It, it's great. Kieran Gillen, I love the guy. I love every. I love just about everything he does. So have again. You know, just a really great team on this book that I'm. I'm excited for. I've also got to say, I think the series gets better with every issue. Yeah, I, I'm. I, I'm. I'm. A, I'm like four in right now, and I. I already agree, and I and I'm I'm <laughs> pumped for what I know that it's going to take some weird ass twists and turns throughout the series, yeah. and I'm here for it. You're going to have the urge to message someone when you hit the end of that first arc and go, holy shit, that person can be me. My my last pick for next week, Carnage, Black, White, and Blood, number one of four. Carnage, not my favorite character, uh, but I'm excited for, again, another short story anthology series. Uh, the Wolverine Black, White, and Blood series was a great use of this format, and the creative teams here are some of my favorite people in comics. Uh, We've got three stories. The first is called Love Story, written by Teeny Howard, art by Ken Lashley, colors by Juan Fernandez. The second is End of the Trail, written by Benjamin Percy, art by Sarah Pacelli, colors by Mattia Iannico. And the third is We Are Carnage by Al Ewing, John McRae, and again, Mattia Iannico. Joe Sabino letters the whole thing. I, I can't say no to these creators. I don't know what's happening in these stories, but this issue and this whole series, in fact, have really solid teams lined up. Yeah, I'm excited for that Teeny Howard I, I story. I love Teeny Howard. That Teeny Howard's her, so good. Her Death's Head miniseries does not get yes. the love it deserves. It's I that that's a future episode to be honest, because I think anybody can pick that up and, and get into it. It's great. As you as you do your King and Black catch up, you will come to her Wiccan and Hulkling one shot. It will just prove what that series demonstrated. She needs a Hulkling and Wiccan ongoing. She should just write Young Avengers. I would also accept that. 
Uh, Frankly, I'll accept whatever she wants to do. I I would love her writing America Chavez and... Oh, God, I want it. I want it now. Yeah. And Kate... I want her writing more Kate Bishop because I loved her Kate Bishop in Death's Head. It's great. Imagine the weird shit she would do with Marvel Boy. (sighs) Yes! Give it to me now. All right. We have one more. Your last pick. The Amazing Spider-Man, number 62. Written by Nick Spencer with art by Patrick Gleason, colors by Edgar Delgado, and letters by Joe Sabino. Again, I'm catching up on this series right now. Um, It was one that I I was reading Amazing Spider-Man in single issues. Uh, I think I I got up to issue 41 before the pandemic hit, and I'm currently caught. I'm getting caught up. I was showing Alex before the episode. I got all of my trades in today, and I will be catching up. he did inform me, thank God, that the last issue, Boomerang, comes back. I love him, and I am I am extremely excited for where where this story, whatever it is, is going. Um, I know, I know, yeah. Nick Spencer has has been um very interesting on this book. Uh, going through just very d- wild inter- iterations of of Spider Man stories. I'm 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 here for all of it. Yeah, thank you for joining us this week. Uh, it's been a blast having you on the show, JD. Where can people get more of you? Well, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at JD underscore Martin underscore, uh, because there's a lot of JD Martins in the world, apparently. Um, but you can find my show, Comics Quest, on the Certain POV Network. Uh, go to certainpov.com. You can find us there or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we are at Comics Quest Show. Um, and there is, of course, the Certain POV Discord, but we also have our own personal Discord, uh, which you can find uh, a link to that in the uh, Twitter bio for the show. We have a lot of fun talking, uh, not just comics. We talk about music and movies as well, but it's it's mostly comics. I hang out there sometimes too. He does, and he, and we, we were t- today we were talking a uh, a little bit about Scott Stanner and Greg Capullo's Batman and how it's really good. It is. We would, as always, also like to thank Chase Parker for our intro voiceover. Panelology, like Comics Quest, is a member of the Certain POV Network. If you're looking for other cool podcasts about popular culture, go to certainpov.com. You can also find that link to the Discord at certainpov.com as well. Just scroll all the way to the bottom of that page. Panelology's website is panelologypodcast.com. You can support us at patreon.com slash panelology. Get merch at bit.ly slash panelologymerch, capital P, capital M, or send us your questions, comments, or whatever at bit.ly slash panelologymailbag, capital P, capital M. I'm Alex. And I'm JD. Go read comics. CPOV. CertainPOV.com.